The following message is by Pastor Andrew Beto, pastor of First Baptist Church of Orchard, Texas. More information on First Baptist Church Orchard can be found at fbcorchard.com. On many occasions, I am a political junkie. I admit it. I'll admit it. I am a political junkie. It is my contact sport of choice. I could care less about the football or the baseball or who has what <coughs> touchdown or what who's playing for the Aggies. I don't care. I really don't. But man, I love me some politics. And so if we're coming into it's like it's like the uh, like the the tournament for me. The next next eight months, I'm gonna be right on the edge of my seat. Sometimes I sometimes I'm gonna be watching and sometimes I'm gonna turn it off because I can't stand it anymore. We're coming up on one of those moments um, that can change the the course of our entire nation. We're coming up on on a primary, and I know sometimes we think, well, you know, primaries, what's that? We're coming up on an opportunity to choose who the candidate for either party is going to be. And this is momentous. This is important. And at times like this, it's important for us to understand what the appropriate relationship of a Christian to their nation is. See, there's a healthy way to be a Christian in a country, and there's an unhealthy way to be a Christian in a country. And as so many things in the Christian life, Scripture speaks to the appropriate attitude that we are to have when talking about political authority. So we're taking a a brief hiatus from the Gospel of Matthew, and we're going to go into the book of Romans. So I want to start off here in Romans chapter 13. Everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist are instituted by God. Now, I want you to understand here as we delve into this who Paul is writing to and why he's writing this. The book of Romans is written to, and it's going to sound really weird here, to the Romans. Okay? Paul is writing a letter to a church or a group of churches in Rome that he hopes to be able to go and meet at some point. Now, we know later on Paul is going to get to go to Rome. He's not going to go quite the way he wanted to. He's going to get drugged there in chains after about a year of journeying and shipwrecks and all the rest of this. But now Paul is writing a letter to the church in Rome. This is a church that was probably formed out of that great Pentecost experience, right? As Jews from all over the Roman world and even beyond were in Jerusalem after the resurrection of Christ and Paul and Peter comes out on the balcony of this house that they've been meeting in and the Holy Spirit comes down and rests on the disciples with tongues of fire and they speak in languages that they don't know. And the truth of the gospel spreads from that place to cities all over the Mediterranean. And so it is very probable that there was a church in Rome from that very time. And now, almost a decade, decade and a half later, Paul is going throughout 
Asia Minor, what is now Turkey, and he is spreading Christianity, and he is planting churches, and he is writing letters to the church in Rome to tell them that he is excited about coming and visiting them. And, and we have in the book of Romans probably the greatest single exposition of the gospel anywhere in the Bible. It's, there's no... There's no um, coincidence that when we share the gospel, often we'll use the Roman road, which is a series of scriptures from Romans that helps us to be able to articulate what the gospel actually means. The, the gospel of Romans is where we get this, this understanding of creation and man's fall and the, the penalties for sin, right? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. That's from, from Romans. We, we get the idea of salvation by faith through grace, not of our own so that no one could boast. These ideas come from the gospel or come from the book of Romans. And so Paul, in the first 12 chapters of this letter, expounds on the gospel and what the gospel means and who we are in the gospel and what it means to be a Christian. And in chapter 13, he switches. There's a change in the letter. He begins to talk about, so what? Like, okay, yes, we are saved by faith through grace. We are not of our own. We are bought by Christ. We are new creations. We're born again. So what? What does that mean? And so the rest of the book of Romans is devoted to the Christian life. What it means to live as a new creation. What it means to live as a new creature. What it means to live as an alien in a foreign land. And interestingly, he begins this exposition on the Christian life by talking about a Christian's responsibility to the state. And I don't think that is a coincidence. See, the idea of authority is incredibly important to a Christian. You can read through the Gospels, and you can read through the New Testament and get this, this sense of, of Christians as being people with no law. Christians who are free to do whatever they want to. We are free in Christ. There is no slave or free. There is no man or woman. It's just this great big hippie commune, right? Where everybody's wearing bathrobes and sandals and we're having a good time and it's great. And nobody's going to tell you what to do and there's no sin and everything's awesome. I'm okay and you're okay and we're all okay and there's all, you know, everything's good. But, th but that's, not, that's not the case. That's not the reality. See, Christians are countercultural, right? We are called to be a people called out from society, but we are not rebels. We are not people without authority. We are not people. We are not the sons of anarchy. We're the sons of a father. And so Paul sits down and, and lays out for the people that government and rulers, that all authority on earth comes from God. See, God is not a God of chaos, right? He is not a God of disorder. He is a God of order, and he has established governments in order to do his will on earth. Now, I want to be, be very clear here. Sometimes these governments are good, and sometimes they're bad. 
but the authority comes from God. And how do we know that? Well, we know that because the worst decision that was ever made by, every, by any governing official ever was Pilate condemning Christ to death. Right? I think we can agree that that was probably the worst call. You know, if, if, if Jerry was the mayor of Wallace and he had to make that call, we'd be like, Jerry, that's a bad call, man. That's not, that's not good to crucify the son of the living God. You, 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 you whiffed that one. Not good. And yet, in John 19, 11, when Pilate told Jesus he had the power to set free or to crucify, he was reminded that he would have no power at all if it had not been given to him from above. The authority that Pilate had, that Pilate used to crucify Christ, came from God. We have to wrestle with that. We have to figure out what that means. See, God used good and bad, godly and pagan to do his wills. And Christians are called to live in submission. And we don't like that. I'm a rebel at heart. All of us are rebels at heart. As far back as the Garden of, Eve, of, the Garden of Eden, we have been rebels. People who defy authority simply because we don't like authority. I, I can remember being in, in college at Texas A&M and, and being in the Corps of Cadets. Now, I've signed up for this, right? I paid extra money to live in the dorm with a bunch of dudes and be yelled at by guys. Like, I have signed up for this. And yet still, I, I chafed against people telling me what to do. I, I can remember one of my seniors coming in there one day and and he was mad because he was, he, he had gotten yelled at because he wasn't wearing his uniform to class, which you were, I mean, he signed up for this. He knows what he's supposed to do. He's mad, right? The man's trying to get him down. And he played Rage Against the Machine, and we slam danced in the hallway to Rage Against the Machine for like 30 minutes, and it felt so good. There was something good about channeling this just rebellion, right? That I'm just going to thumb my nose in authority. We are all people, all children of rebellion. That's, that is the original sin that courses through. It's the fallen nature of mankind. And yet, in Scripture, we are called to be people that live in submission to appropriate authority. We're to be people that live in submission to appropriate government. Titus 3.1 as Christians, we are called to submission to the leaders of our church. In Ephesians, we're called to submit to one another. Brothers to brothers and sisters to sisters in Christ. Christian slaves are to submit to their masters. Prophets are to submit to other prophets. Wives are to submit to their husbands. Children are to submit to their parents. We are a people that live within a web of submission. Because at base, we are people who have been bought at a price, and we do not belong to ourselves. At, at the base of submission is this understanding that I am not my own person, that I exist for something other than my own glory. And so there are other things, other considerations that have to inform my decisions. See, Christians are called to be countercultural, but we are not rebels. 
The Christian life is to be lived in submission to appropriate authority, to the authority that has been placed there by God. Many of you will say this is un-American. We're Americans. We're free. Do whatever we want to. We'll tell you this. There is a difference. There is a difference between being an American and being a Christian. You can be an American and a Christian, but just because you are an American, it doesn't mean that you are a Christian. Many of the values that we have in America came from the Enlightenment, not from the Bible. And so we have to be very careful that ideas are not smuggled in. This is going to be uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to me. I struggled with this for a week, wrestling with this. How do I, how do I submit to authority that I don't like, that I'm mad at? So we read further in Romans 13, beginning in verse 2, it says, Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to the good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. See, God has not just given authority to worldly governments. He has given them the ability to use the power of the sword to enforce that authority. And those who oppose that authority oppose God and will be condemned. God doesn't condone the rebellion in our hearts. He does not, he does not reinforce the self-love that makes each of us the most important thing in all creation. God has given earthly rulers the ability to use coercive power to exercise their authority. And because men are wicked and hate authority, God must give rulers the ability to coerce us. How do I know this? Because the Old Testament's full of it. Cyrus was a pagan king of Persia. Okay? He worshipped demon gods. He had multiple wives and was grossly immoral. He was not a good guy. He made Saddam Hussein look like a Boy Scout leader. Cyrus was a bad dude. This is what Isaiah 45, 1 says. This is what the Lord says to his anointed, right? His anointed, his chosen king, Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. I will go before you and I will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through iron bars of iron. This is not a Davidic king that he is talking about. This is Cyrus, king of the Persians. And we have to deal with that. 
He also uses earthly rulers to punish his people when they are out of line. We don't like to hear that either. Sometimes God uses men like Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, who also was a pagan and also grossly immoral. And this is what Jeremiah says, Therefore the Lord Almighty says this, Because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the people of the north and my servant, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and everlasting ruin. God institutes authority, and he gives that authority the ability to use coercive force. And he goes on to say that those who submit to appointed authority need not fear because authority's job is to punish the wicked and uphold the right. And while most of us would want to immediately jump to despotic kings at this point and say, well, what about Nazi Germany? I want to take a moment and say that by and large, in most places, the people that need fear the law are the wicked. And oftentimes, when we fear the law, it's because we are wicked. Brothers and sisters, when you're afraid of the police officer on the side of the road, it's because you have been speeding. <laughs> Let's be real. When I'm going 10 miles over the speed limit because I'm late to class and I come over that, that hill and I look down and I see the constable there, I fear the sword of the official but not because I am a tortured minority. <laughs> not because I am somehow righteous. I am afraid because I'm going 10 miles over the speed limit. You do not have to be afraid of a police officer if you are compliant. If you keep your hands where they should be and you don't make sudden movements, you generally are not going to get tased. But if you get mouthy, if you, if you decide that you're going to tell him all about how he's wrong and you don't have to take a breathalyzer or whatever, you're probably going to end up face down on the concrete. And if you're lucky, pepper spray is the only thing you'll get. See, the righteous need not fear the sword, but the evildoer, you should fear it. You don't need to fear the principle if you're not breaking the rules. Okay, you guys all know that feeling when the principal walks by. It's not because the principal's a bad person who's got it out for you. It's because you're doing knuckleheaded things. Because you got a bag full of firecrackers and you've been lighting them off in the toilet. Okay? <laughs> you know who you are. You know who I'm talking to. If you do have a run-in with authority... If you do have a run-in with authority, run amok. There is a system in place to rein that in. We do not need to fear the sword when it's wielded by legitimate authority. See, submission to legitimate authority 
is not just something that we do because we're afraid of the sword. It's something that we do because it's a Christian duty. It's something that God is calling us to do. In verse 5, he says, Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, right? You pay taxes, guys. You have to pay taxes. The Bible says pay your taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to the very things. Pay to all that which is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. See, submission to authority is a Christian duty that should not be an issue of fear or compulsion. We said we live in a hierarchy of submission. And as Christians, we should know that. As Christians, we should not be the problem students. As Christians, we should not be the people who the police have to worry about. Governments are instituted by authority, and they have the right to support themselves by the people. Jeep. The Pharisees come up to Jesus and they say, hey, are we supposed to pay taxes or not? Right? Because at that time there was this big, big problem within the Jewish community. They didn't want to pay the taxes to the Romans who were oppressing them. And you know what Jesus says? Pull out a denarius. Whose face is it? It's Caesar. Render to Caesar what is his. Taxes are the obligation of the Christian to pay. You mean I like it? I don't particularly like it but it's something that we are called to do. Submission to legitimate authority is an act of evangelism. Guys, it is the way that we show the world who our king is. By accepting the authority of those placed over us, we acknowledge the authority of God. We acknowledge that we are not on our own program, that we are a member of the tapestry that God has woven into this world. First Peter says it better than I ever could. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your souls. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and command those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, I want you to understand this. I want you to understand who he's talking about here. When Peter is writing this, he's talking about Nero, who's crazy, who is lighting his garden parties by Christians who are being burnt at the stake. That's who Peter's talking about. He's saying even that guy, has the authority given to him by God. See, submission is a way that we demonstrate to the world that we know that we have a king. 
We submit to authority because we admit that the authorities have received theirs from him who has authority over us. But, but I want to make this point. Submission does not always mean obedience. I want to say that again. Submission does not always mean obedience. See, as Christians, we live within a hierarchy of authority and submissions. And all authority has been given to leaders by God. But that doesn't mean the authority can tell us to do something that is outside the will of God. There are times when the government tells us to do things that we are bound to disobey. And at those times, it is our job as Christians to honestly and openly disobey and accept the consequences. To glorify God by dying for him. That's a hard duty. In Acts chapter 4, verses 18 through 20, Peter is told not to profess Christ or that he will be beaten and thrown into jail. And Peter looks at the authorities and says, Decide for yourself, but I won't follow your, your rule. And he goes out and he professes Christ and he takes a beating for it. And sometimes, guys, that's what we have to do. Sometimes being a Christian in a nation means living in submission to authority and taking the beating that the authorities give us. But here's the corollary to this. See, as Christians, we are called to live in submission to authority, which means that as Christians, we have a vested interest in the authority that is placed over us. You will be held responsible to submit to the authorities that are placed over you, which means you should take an active interest in what those authorities are. Christians have a vested interest in forming the laws and the governments that they submit to. Now, you don't always have that option. There are lots of people that live in places where they don't get to decide who their leaders are. But for whatever reason, we have received the gift to live in a nation where we can decide who our leaders are. And yet, we don't exercise it. We don't participate in the system. We don't make our voice heard. Christians will be called to submit to legitimate authority and to follow the laws of the country they live in. And so we should participate as much and as far as we are able to do. That means you have to do some work. That means you have to turn off the TV and actually learn about the people that are asking you to be their elected officials. Christians have a duty to work within their political system to establish governments that reflect their values. You need to understand what the issues are. 
You should not know more about the Texans lineup than you do about who is running for Congress. If you do, you are not doing your duty as a Christian. Did he just say that? Yes, I just said that. If you know the starting offensive line for the Texans with all their stats, but you don't know the positions of the people that are running for office, you are failing as a Christian in this nation. And don't tell me it's too complicated. I've watched guys do fantasy football. That's some complicated math. It's a lack of will. You need to educate yourself about who is running and what they stand for. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm not allowed by law to tell you who to vote for. You can talk to me offline about who I think should run. And we'll sit down and talk for hours because I love it. But you need to figure out who these people are and what they believe. And you should make your values known. That means educating yourself on the issues. And that means being able to communicate to other people why you support this or that person. It means moving beyond slogans to actual issues. It means taking more than five minutes to actually examine what somebody's saying to see if this person is lying to you. It also means not confusing the Great Commission with the American dream. It means understanding all of the issues and not being captured by one particular wedge issue. We are called to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. See, Christians should, should submit to authority by participating in their political system. Christians should submit to authority by not being afraid to serve in their nation. I've heard so many people tell me, oh, I'm afraid I don't like this or that person, and I don't know if I should serve in the military. I don't know what I should do. Listen to me. If we need anybody in the military, we need Christians in the military. You want to get oppressed? You want to have your, route, your, your rights trampled on? Go ahead and have everybody in the military not reflect your values. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Well, we'll just pull out of the military. No, no, no. You want Christians on the other end of that rifle making that call. You want Christian police officers who are going to enforce the laws with their values. Now, there may come a time as a Christian police officer or a Christian soldier where you have to Reject an order that goes against your faith. That comes with a territory. But government has been instituted by God, and it is our job as Christians to submit to it. So we, we better start involving ourselves in the government that we're going to submit to. Next week on Tuesday, you will have an opportunity to cast your vote. You will have an opportunity to vote for the person that you will be voting for in November. Take some time 
and make your views known. Because it's your job to submit to authority. And it's your interest to make sure that you have decided what type of authority you'll be submitting to. Please bow your heads with me. Dear sweet Jesus, God, I ask that you would be with our country. I ask that you would give wisdom to our leaders. Lord, I ask that you would make us the kinds of men and women that can speak our values in the public square. God, make us courageous and make us humble. Give us wisdom and also grace. Lord, make us courageous as we attempt to wrestle this country into something that will honor you. Lord, give us the faith to be able to endure when this country does not go in the way that we think it should. Lord, I ask that you would be with us, that you would watch over us, that you would help us to leave this place as your hands and your feet, both on the street and in our homes and in the ballot box. Lord, I ask these things in your holy name. Amen.